It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's up? Welcome into Best on the Board, presented by BetMGM. It is Friday, April 22nd. Michael Beller here with you. We are taking a look ahead to Saturday's NBA playoff games on this episode of Best on the Board. Joining me to do that, a new voice on Best on the Board, Jason Jones. Covers a little bit of everything for us here at The Athletic, everything in the basketball world. So a good guy to get in on Best on the Board. Jason, what's going on, man? Thanks for being with us. Nothing much, nothing much. Just a lot of basketball to try to keep tabs on as yeah, it normally is this time of year. So just mm-hmm. doing that and trying to <laughs> figure out what's going on with this year with the injuries and everything that's been that's been happening. Oh, my God. Just a, a topsy-turvy first round that we are dealing with here. And, I mean, just take a look at the Friday night games that we uh, do have going on. We have uh, we talked about these in a previous episode, so if you're looking for some Friday night talk, just go back an episode or two in the feed and you will find those, right? But, yeah, Bucks bulls no Chris Middleton for the rest of that series. Suns-Pelicans, no Devin Booker for at least the next two games. A whole lot uh, of injury influence in this first round of the NBA playoffs, which we do not like to see. Unfortunately, we are dealing with that, and we're dealing with it, Jason, in the first game that you and I are going to talk about here for Saturday, Sixers and Raptors. Of course, the complexion of this entire series changed when Scotty Barnes got hurt in Game 1. So the Sixers now looking to sweep things on Saturday. They are two-and-a-half-point favorites in Toronto. 213-and-a-half is the total on this game. And, I mean, Jason, with the way this is going, you know, I mean, the writing's on the wall in terms of who's going to win this series, I think. And I think it ends here. I, I like the Sixers to cover the two and a half and end things on Saturday. What are you looking at with this series? I think it ends Saturday too. I just don't think that Toronto has no answer for Joel Embiid. They just mm-hmm. they just don't have you know the size to deal with him. And I just don't see how you know as good of a coach Nick Nurse as he is, and as great of a season as Fred VanVleet's had, and you know, we all know Pascal Siakam can be a good player. You know the fact that. You know, a key guy like Scotty Barnes has been hobbled. You know, Gary Trent hasn't been him. You know, hasn't been all the way healthy. Right. You know, it's just too. To me, it's just too much to overcome. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And you, you just look at the 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 way that these these three games in the series have gone. Uh, a couple of stranglehold games for the Sixers in Philly, and then they come back and they win that game three in Toronto on the buzzer beater by Embiid. And it's like that that was the game that Toronto absolutely needed to have. And you know, Toronto won eleven in game one, ninety-seven in game two, one oh one in game three. This is not a team that we expect to get up and down the floor and, and score one twenty night in and night out, but like those those offensive numbers just simply aren't gonna get it done. And they were coming into this series with a bit of a talent deficit to start with, and you lose a guy like Scotty Barnes. It's hard to adjust like that on the fly. They've done a good job. They've done as good a job of it as you possibly could have uh, when you lose a key player like that and the domino effect that has down the rest of your roster. 
But it's just, it's been an uphill battle since then. And we've seen that borne out in games two and game three. And so that's why I think that ultimately the Sixers end up not only winning this game, two and a half point spread. It's not very big, obviously. I think they ultimately cover that spread and get ready for, you know, what should be a great second round series, most likely, of course, against the Miami Heat. I just, again, yeah, just don't really see this going in Toronto's way. I guess, let me ask you, if if we end up being wrong, if we end up being proven wrong 24 hours or so from now after you and I are recording this episode, what goes right for Toronto in game four that they keep this alive and send it back to Philly? I think they take advantage of, I mean, what, what they don't have in the uh, sides at the center position, they, they go ahead and they take advantage of their of guys like Van Vliet and Siakam have to have big games. I mean, we know Fred can do that. He's done it before, but, you know, you need both of those guys clicking. If, right. if you can get a game where both of those guys are rolling, you know, I think that, you, you know, you can possibly, you know, I could see that happening. And generally, I always say, you know, a team like a team like Toronto that has guys with some championship pedigree, mm-hmm. they're going to be good for a game. I just don't know if uh, – they can get that without being at full strength. But if those two guys are rolling, you know, anybody can get it. Those two guys get hot. Mm-hmm. I could see, you know, a game five. I just don't think they overall that yeah. that's a likely. Yeah, we are same page in it for that first game on Saturday. Let's flip things over to the Western Conference for Saturday's second game. And Jason, this is a, a series that I am totally stunned by. Uh, Mavericks pull off another win in game three. They now lead this series two to one with the Jazz without. Luka Doncic, but the the odds makers still loving the Jazz because down 2-1 in Dallas. Doncic's status for Game 4 is still unknown. The Jazz are 4.5-point favorites in this game. 2-11.5 the total that we are looking at. Uh, Jason, coming into this series, before we knew about the Doncic injury right at the end of the regular season, I liked Utah. I thought Utah was going to win this series with Doncic. Without Doncic, I thought this was going to be, you know, if if he couldn't get back early in the series, I thought we could be looking at something like a 4-1 Utah win. And here we are now going into game four with Dallas up two to one, a coming out party already in these first couple of games for Jalen Brunson. Monster 40-point game in game two. Puts the team on his back once again in game three. What are you looking at with this game four matchup between these two teams? I mean, Utah to me is the mo- one of the more just puzzling, disappointing, yes. frustrating teams to figure out. And it's... I think they'll win Game Four, but I, I have zero faith. I have zero faith or confidence behind yeah. that, just because I've seen them all season just blow big leads, can't hold leads in the second half. And I always have this kind of my own saying. I say sometimes the team is playing like they don't like their coach, <laughs> and this team reminds me of one of those. I mean, there's no way they should be this bad defensively. Yes, I mean just. I mean, Jalen Brunson is a talented player. I mean, you know, championship pedigree from college, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all those sort of things. But to give up 72 points in back in total, no, total over two games to right. Jalen Brunson, I mean, you've got Mike Conley and, and Donovan Mitchell back. That should be unacceptable. Mm-hmm. That, that that just shouldn't fly. And then I'm watching, you know, game three and – yeah, we all know that people are going to, uh, when teams go small, it makes it tough on Rudy Gobert, but do they even try to throw the ball to him anywhere near the rim? I mean, they're, they've got a bunch of little guys around him. They don't do anything with it. It's just, I said, they, I, I really just, that team just baffles me. Cause I mean, you, 
you know, you are even the, the talk after game two being that where they got the split. I'm like, they're playing without Luca. You got to yeah. you got to get both of those. Yes. There can't be a, mm-hmm. well, we got a split. This is not mm-hmm. a right, normal situation. And don't forget, Dallas is also without Tim Hardaway Jr. Yep. So this is not a, you know, they're, they're not at full strength. And, and they're just running them right now, you know, the last couple of games because they cannot contain, you know, can't contain the ball on defense. And they're giving up a ton of threes, gave up 18 threes in game three. And Utah only mm-hmm. made nine. Yeah, it's just, I still think Utah wins. I just kind of want to, I, I believe in some way this is almost like an anomaly. Maybe they're just kind of, sometimes when a team is uh, confronted with a, an injury, and I'm just, should I say the opposing team can do right. that injury it takes a while to figure out just kind of the style of play and how it changes because mm-hmm. obviously Jalen Brunson is not Luca, but still this is the yeah, Utah, you know, to me right now, the most disappointing team of this postseason because okay. they should be up at, at, at worst. It should be, at, I mean, two, one for them. Yes. I, I, I think they should be up three Oh, I mean, but they don't close games and that after this series is over, which they'll probably lose at this rate. We're going to see some big changes in Utah. It really is remarkable the way that this series has gone. Game two, you know, they Dallas you know, right fights back, fights back, fights back, and then uh, there was the Donovan Mitchell and one that put Utah back up seven with I want to say about five thirty six left in the game. And watch, and I thought, all right, like you know, Dallas had its run. Kleber's hitting everything in sight. Jalen Brunson's playing an awesome game, but this should get Utah settled and they should be able to cruise from here on out. And as you said, it's the closing issues we've seen from this team all season long. And then uh, just to be kept sort of at arm's length in in the first game back in Utah in game three, uh, very, very disappointing. I'm with you. I think they bounce back. I don't feel comfortable laying the four and a half with what we've seen uh, from Utah to this point of the series. So I'm probably going to avoid that. I just think that they need, you know, this should be, like this is this this has to be a, a wake up call of sorts with what they've uh, done over these last two games or what they haven't done as the case may be. The thing that I keep going to back to though from a petting perspective, Jason, is and maybe this has a little something to do with the fact that they seem completely resistant to the idea of uh, of getting it into uh, to Rudy is Boyan Bogdanovich has been a, a real weapon for them in this series and Dallas seems to have no answer for him. Twenty five in game one, twenty six in game two, twenty four. In game three for Bogdanovich, been a really efficient scorer for Utah in this series. And so I think he can keep that up again. You see his points prop sitting in the low 20s at 21 and a half. Again, it's where it was in game three. It's right back there in game four. Went over it in game three with a meaningless three uh, right at the gun. Not not quite right at the gun, uh, but right toward the end. Like 15 seconds left, game, a shot that meant nothing. But he had 20, he was sitting on 21 going into the fourth quarter. And then that was his only bucket in the fourth. And, and so I think. Think that he's been such a consistent weapon for them. Dallas doesn't without Luca, without THJ, they don't really have someone. Uh, you know, just the, again that trickle down effect of having to spread guys out. You know, Bogdanovich has been, I think, the, the main beneficiary in terms of his scoring, and I think that that continues in Game Four. So I'm going to back Boyan Bogdanovich once again in Game Four to go over his point scoring prop. And I, I just want, like, I want to see something from Utah, Jason, because I want, like, I think a Utah versus Phoenix with Devin Booker series in the second round would be a lot of fun, but they got to show us something in game four. Yeah. Yeah. And at this rate, Dallas has to be thinking this is great because mm-hmm. they're not rushing Luca back. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to. I mean, they, they're, they keep buying themselves more time and giving Luca, you know, it's, it'll be about a week, yeah. you know, by, you know, almost a week you know, by game four. 
So this is like, you know, ideal for them. And just, I mean, yeah, Jalen Brunson, you know, this, he's been amazing. And mm-hmm. Bogdanovich has been great. But if they could get Bogdanovich to, you know, help stay in front of one of these guards, <laughs> yeah. you know, whether it's Brunson nice. or it's Dinwiddie or someone stay at home and on a, on a corner three point shooter. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, they're, yeah. To me, the biggest thing with Dallas is just not Dallas, Utah. This their defense has been a mess when it matters. Yep. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jason, let's uh, get to Celtics and Nets game three. Nets three and a half point favorites in this one. 223 and a half the series shifting to Brooklyn. Been a very entertaining series to this point. Game one, awesome. Game two, awesome. I expect this to be the most entertaining series the rest of the way, whether it only goes two more games, whether it goes the full seven. Uh, just two great teams evenly matched for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take any team in this series with how close these first two games have been. Getting three and a half feels pretty comfortable. So I'd lean toward the Celtics in this game. But what do we got to see from the Nets to uh, have them keep this a series and not let Boston you know, effectively end it on Saturday? They've got to figure out offensively how to get their stars going. I mean, this shouldn't – you got Kyrie Irving and you got Kevin Durant. You know, you, you know Kevin 4-17 and – can't get a shot to go in the second half. It shouldn't be that hard to get Kevin Durant no, <laughs> going on offense. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't seem like it should, you know, but that's going to that's gonna be their thing. I mean, we all know Boston has, you know, the best defense in the league this season, defensive player of the year at Marcus Smart. And even without Robert Williams available, it's not like Al Horford, even though he's, a, he's, a, he's an older version of Al Horford, Al, Al Horford's always been a solid defender. Yes, and even at you know later in his career, he's going to know where to be and kind of how to approach things defensively. So you won't you lose the athleticism of a Robert Williams, but you don't lose the the smarts and the instincts. You know, so they just got to figure. I mean, they have to figure out how to get some more movement. Get got you know to get the to get those guys good shots. I mean, it's kind of the trap when you have a great player like a KD or a Kyrie. Mm-hmm. They're great shot creators. They can make tough shots. So when you're playing against a great defense, you need some help from your coaching staff and your teammates to make some of those tough shots not as tough. So if they're going to pull this out or you know, you know, get a game three win, it can't be – they may have to get big games, but they can't have to – they have to be able to, say, get their 30 points without having to shoot the ball 30 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something more within the flow of the offense rather than just being like, all right, Kevin, go to work. All right, Kyrie, go to work. Do your yeah, thing. They're, they're, yeah, Boston's too good for that defense. Yes, yes, absolutely. And just so balanced, too. They've been, they've been such a balanced team on the offensive end of the floor in this series. It was Jason Tatum in game one. He takes a step back in game two in terms of scoring, but dishes out 10 assists. You've seen so much balance from this Boston team in this series. And, and Al Horford, I'm happy you bring him up uh, and what he does defensively just as a, a smart player because he's been a very effective scorer for Boston in this series. 36 games across, or 36 points, excuse me, across the two games. And uh, his points props sitting at 13 and a half. The minutes are there for him. 
Uh, they've they've been right 40, 40 minutes about per game uh, in these first two games of the series. They've been there for him so far. They are going to be there for him again in game three. Brooklyn, middle of the pack this season in terms of uh, shooting percentage allowed at the rim, in terms of uh, free throw rate, in terms of shooting percent or sh- uh, percentage of shots allowed at the rim. You know, basically, I think that this is just going to be a situation where you know, Horford is going to get his minutes and get his shots enough to go over the 13 and a half points. And, and something that's been a story, I would say, so far this series and something we were going to be watching out for, so good of an offensive rebounding team. Boston is against a a team that doesn't necessarily clean up its defensive glass all that well in Brooklyn. And that has also played itself out in Boston's favor in a huge way. They've cleaned up nearly 30% of their misses over the first two games of this series. And right there, I mean, we could be talking about, you know, you you cut that to 25%, Jason, and maybe we're looking at Brooklyn up to, oh, we certainly could be looking at a 1-1 series headed back to Brooklyn. That was going to be an advantage for Boston coming into the series. It has been an advantage for them. I think it continues to be an advantage for them. All that points me to Al Horford. Definitely. And if you can go back to game one, if they, if, if, Brooklyn can get one offensive rebound. They go even even an offensive rebound. Yes, they they're going they they win game one. So yeah, but that's also a credit to what like I said what Boston can do defensively to you. I mean they mm-hmm. they've they've put the clamps on these guys in the second half in both of these games. Where it's I mean some of the most impressive coaching and defensive play I've seen in quite a while. All right, Jason, let's wrap things up. The last game on Saturday, Grizzlies and T-Wolves. What a comeback by the Grizzlies in Game 3. T-Wolves look like they are just cruising to a 2-1 series lead with a Game 4 at home. Uh, Memphis erases a 23-point deficit, I believe it was, in the second half and wins that game by double digits. Just an incredible performance by the Grizzlies. They are now 2.5-point favorites in Game 4 in Minnesota, 232.5 the total in this game. This has been just a, a back and forth series in the most extreme ways with what Minnesota did in game one and what Memphis does in game three with that comfortable game two win as sort of the bridge from game one to game three. How do you size up this game four matchup? I like the idea of Minnesota coming back and bouncing back. I don't think I, I mean to fight the way they did to, to you know, to get the seven <laughs> spot. I don't see them folding after a game like that, but man, that was that was bad. I mean, twenty-one nothing run. Coach doesn't call timeout during the run. It's like there's just so many things where you say, "Wow, what went wrong?" I mean, Cat's kind of weird, dismissive response to why he played so bad. My next question: You don't get the next question. That I mean, you're an you're an all star. You you know, played terribly. Mm-hmm. And this is not the first time we've seen him in a you know a big game come up like that. And one week ago against the Clippers, yeah. This for for Cat. This goes back to even when Jimmy Butler was there, and kind of the, the it, it had been implied that that Cat just wasn't mentally he wasn't tough. And you, if if you're Cat, you can't let Jaron Jackson Jr. and Stephen Adams do this. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there can't be you know, and just some of the fouls he commits and. It's like, you know, you're a multiple-time All-Star, and these single-digit performances just won't cut it. And a game like Game 3 is a game where, you know, where if you're the All-Star on that team, which he is, you say, they're on a big run. Hey, coach, get me in, get me the ball, and I'm going to stop this. I'm going to get us a good look. And with talented as, as Cat is, he should be able to get a good shot whenever he wants. And so, but, you know, it's – 
it's a it's a weird series, and like I said, because it's weird, I think I wouldn't be surprised if Minnesota blows out Memphis yeah. in Game Four. So do you, I mean, do we surprise me at all? Do we see a? Do you think we sort of have to see like a recommitment to getting Cat back to Cat? I mean, four shot. It's ridiculous. It's a a a, a bad game in that spot is obviously going to be bad. Um, you know, it's gonna a bad game in that spot is going to look very bad, and it's not what you want. But it's excusable, right? I mean, you know, these are right. Everyone, everyone has a bad game in a big spot from time to time. It's gonna happen. But to have a effectively a disappearing act in that spot is inexcusable. How do they get recommitted to Cat in Game Four? I think it's on him. I mean, there's no – when you're – you know, I mean, I think we all look at that team and know that the best player will be Anthony Edwards. Mm-hmm. But when right now it's Cat. He's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he's your all-star. You know, there's no way if you're a player of that caliber that you only get four shots. Yes. I mean, Crazy. I know part of it is they have to get you the ball, whatever, whatever, whatever. Mm-mm. You know, go get the ball. Yes. Do something. Uh-huh. That's you know that's this you know it's just and then kind of like I said to me what was more problematic is this this attitude after the game I I understand how sometimes when you don't want to talk to the media you can, how things can come across but you know he's not a he's not a he's not dumb you know he knows him saying next question as if somehow it's not his you know and that to me that's that's my only pause is that. Mm-hmm. Is that type of public attitude a hint of something deeper, just in terms of the connection of the team? But just a week ago, they were all crying. Right, they were all crying and hugging in the plane. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. This is a this is a weird series. But you also have two teams with a lot of young players, so yep. you kind of can expect some weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a ton of playoff experience on either side of this series. Um, I'll throw out the one more thing that shows us just how weird this series is. This is Game Four. Go 232 and a half is the total. These are uh, two very offensively efficient teams. These are two very fast-paced teams. Go back just uh, not even a week. Game one of this series and game two of the series had totals in the low 240s. And now here we are three games later, and we are 10 points beneath that. And books have been taking a hammering on the under. And so to see it still – like it's like they are the, – to be down at 232 and a half, we are seeing books really want to find a way to get some sort of guard against – the under 81% of handle in game two was on the under 74% in game three. For me, this is the breaking point. 232 and a half with the talent on both sides, but you know, it's it's playoff basketball, very different than regular season basketball, but these teams both still play a heightened pace. And so 232 and a half, the pendulum has swung too far. I think we get back to what we are used to seeing from these two teams and we go over. The two thirty-two and a half. Uh, we've gone over here. We are going to call that a show here on Best on the Board. Thank you so much for listening out there. For Jason, I am Michael Feller. Have a great weekend. Good luck. Happy betting. We'll talk to you soon.